Hello dear listeners, I hope you're having a wonderful day. Welcome back to Parish Notices. Uh, I'm your host Sam Parish. It is a cool night in the beginning of June here in London. Uh, I hope you're all doing well. The weather has finally broken here in the capital after a month of just gorgeous sun. Uh, I hope that everybody is staying calm and staying positive and staying happy and doing the best to take care of themselves as quarantine drags on. Uh, the last month has been absolutely mad for me. I've been training and, and doing online courses and trying to get ready to go back to work and and just waiting for the world to, to open up again, really. Today is going to be something of a triple bill. Uh, I'm going to be taking a look at three products from the Melsonian Arts Council, who are sort of a distribution company uh, for Autair tabletop gaming RPG products. Uh, they're, a, they're a wonderful company. Uh, they've got some really lovely stuff in and the presentation of everything that they develop is, is really, really great. Uh, I won't be struggling for things to review in, in the near future. I, I just got my hands on itch.io's social justice bundle, which is, I believe, $10 for nearly 750 uh, products and games. Uh, and in the against the backdrop of all the sort of unrest and all the unhappiness at the moment, uh, it's a really easy way to do some social good to invest in those products. So uh, I think I spent about $17 getting my hands on everything. Uh, so I'd love to see anybody match me on that. Uh, so do let me know if you do. All right, without further ado, let's dive right into the episode. First up, we're going to be talking about Troika, an original pen and paper RPG written by Daniel Sell and presented by the Melsonian Arts Council. And I believe that this is their big in-house flagship product. Uh, I was fascinated by Troika from the moment I saw it being developed. I loved the art style that surrounded it and the whole way it was being presented. And uh, the MAC have done a fantastic job of marketing the game. Uh, it seems like it's really captured people's imaginations. And as a result, there's a lot of material and adventures available for it already. And that community of creativity around it, alongside the sort of slim volume that makes up the game's rules, uh, is already a mark in its favour. It is a hard game to pigeonhole. Uh, structurally, it's, it's very pulpy. It's not too dissimilar to Dungeons and & Dragons and other more accessible RPGs, but its genre has elements of, as far as I can tell, weird artsy comics from the 80s by Grant Morrison and Neil Gaiman, uh, Terry Pratchett and Douglas Adams, uh, maybe a little bit of Saga by Brian K. Vaughan. It's a weird science fantasy romp that's both completely epic and totally mundane in its scale. Uh, the introduction describes it as a science fantasy RPG in which players travel by eldritch portal and non-Euclidean labyrinth and golden-sailed barge between the uncountable crystal spheres strung delicately across the hump-backed sky. Uh, meanwhile, the introductory and adventure is about getting back to your hotel room, navigating eldritch horrors and a giant sentient slug monarch. So if that kind of balmy British tone of sci-fi and fantasy appeals to you at all, this is 
definitely the game for you. It is really a remarkable piece of writing uh, that relies on a lot of short character class introductions, a lot of item and spell descriptions to convey as much strangeness and humour in the world as possible. I'm actually going to quickly flick through and find a spell description. Just pick one at random. Uh, here we go. Uh, invisibility. The wizard turns flesh into refractive crystal sheets. It's very uncomfortable, and you make a slight shishing sound as you move, but are quite invisible and don't suffer from the usual limitations of illusions. Lasts for three minutes, after which you noisily reform into dull and frustratingly opaque flesh. <laughs> One of the first impressions I had about the book itself is that it looks absolutely gorgeous. The illustrations by Jeremy Duncan and, and Dirk detweiler Lichty, Sam Mamelli and Andrew Walter, they do a great job of, of injecting personality into the book with these intricate line drawings, these brightly coloured paintings, all rendered in this very quirky style. Uh, the level of writing and presentation is very high, and even if it was a terrible game, it would be a wonderful piece to have on your shelf just on uh, aesthetics alone. Mechanically, the game is very robust, even if it's not trying to reinvent the wheel. Uh, character sheets are lightweight with only three statistics and skills are very easy to interpret and use uh, as are spells. The game is full of unique character concepts to play and the procedural generation of the characters really lends itself to the game's quite lethal style. There's a, there's a great line in the rule book about rolling up a new character while your friends are still picking through your old character's belongings. My only personal pet peeve with the rules is the initiative system uh, by which characters uh, and enemies act in turn during dire situations. Uh, I've seen this system receive a lot of praise and commentary. People have spoken about it being innovative, but the, the portable ironing board was pretty innovative. It didn't necessarily mean it was good. Uh, it uses a, a series of counters with the order of play changing every turn. It certainly adds an element of threat or suspense every turn, which a lot of systems don't have. However, I'm suspicious of any system that varies every round, as it seems unwieldy, especially with the prop of the counters. It seems, unless I'm misunderstanding, that players can miss whole turns without getting to act, uh, which is never fun. And there's certain examples in the book which have me a little concerned. They give uh, examples for how to run up to 50 enemies at one time uh, and if that is expected each goblin in a group of 50 goblins is going to have to make individual roles uh, to attack various party members so it just seems like it was designed to be interesting more than it was punchy and wieldly and useful in a dire scenario of gameplay. However, Troika, despite my grievances, is leaving with a resounding recommendation, both as a collector's item with a lot of fun writing and great visual appeal, but also as a very exciting and punchy game with both accessibility for new players and lots of interesting stuff to offer veteran friends at the table.
Next up, we're going to be talking about Lost Isle by Nate Treem, presented by the Highland Paranormal Society, printed by Exalted Funeral. And just as a side note, I love all of these gaming companies' titles. They are all so evocative. We're going to be talking about something later from Necrotic Gnome, which I just love. Uh, the Lost Isle is a short, low-level adventure with elements of science fiction, Pratchett-esque fantasy, surrealism, and even touches of Spain's historical interaction with ancient South American cultures. It's a very slim booklet, 14 pages in total, but given how cheaply uh, I bought it, it's of excellent quality. Uh, I've had it and travelled with it for several months now, and it's no worse for wear at all. Uh, the cover art is gorgeous, and Treem's simple but deceptively charming illustrations uh, make the maps and the drawings throughout pop really well. Uh, the layout is also dense with information and very easy to follow. Uh, the story is mildly silly and whimsical, including jelly folk and sentient vegetable folk uh, sliding realities. However, despite its huge amounts of charm, it doesn't have much by way of structure. There is a way to do this, you know, giving the, the setting a, a labyrinthine quality or giving an overarching goal to aim towards. Uh, as it stands, Lost Isle feels more like a tour through this kind of amusement park. Uh, it's certainly not unwelcome, uh, but when considered with the fact that it's being designed primarily for second edition D&D, uh, DMs will find a fair amount of work to be done to prep Lost Isle for modern players. Uh, that being said, it's a very cheap, very cheerful module with lots of fun ideas. Uh, I have to thank it and Treem for introducing me to the world of experimental, smaller scale D&D literature, and I'll be reviewing much more of it. Finally, we're going to be talking about Winter's Daughter, written by Gavin Norman, uh, part of Necrotic Gnome's ongoing Dolmenwood series, uh, which has been adapted for 5th edition D&D from their own system. Uh, at a look, the company seems to be dedicated to resurrecting an older sensibility of fantasy games, more like the sort of punishing difficulty and straight-up weirdness of 80s D&D and its contemporaries. Uh, Dolmenwood, in particular, has intense shades of Arthurian myth and old Irish legends. Uh, it's a place full of ancient ley lines and creepy elves, dangerous fae and strange fairy tale threats. It's, for my money, the perfect blend of creepy and sweet, although it does scratch a lot of my personal preferences for world building and tone. Winter's Daughter pitches itself as an adventure in the old school style, which as far as I understand it means particularly relying on preparation, wits, caution and discretion to make up for being physically outmatched. It also has this kind of pulpy sensibility about how it seeks to lure players into adventure. Uh, the idea of a player character falling in love with a mysterious vision or seeking riches promised in an inheritance. It appeals to players on a 
basic level rather than kind of assuming their heroism, which I feel a lot of modern adventures do. Uh, the information is all laid out in this very accessible and compelling way, with a mind to what heroes actually interact with. Uh, there's a lot of fun sensory description to make the adventure uniquely atmospheric. Uh, it doesn't have the same surrealist imagination as Lost Isle, but there's plenty of clever ideas. I particularly love the Blade of Hubris, a magic sword that compels whoever wields it to fight only the most threatening and challenging foes. The adventure's strongest asset is its ability to act as a launching pad. I understand there'll probably be people who don't want these things spoiled for them, uh, so I'm struggling to kind of dance around plot points. But for DMs, there's plenty of materials here to build a whole campaign of adventures out of, uh, with just a little bit of creativity. Uh, overall, it's a very compelling piece of gameplay, with a lot of emotional depth for more artistically-minded players, and enough challenge for people who just want to play the game in a straightforward way. That is going to wrap up this episode of Parish Notices, dear listeners. As ever, thank you so much for listening. And if you're into tabletop RPGs, pen and paper stuff at all, make sure to check out Troika. Make sure to check out the Melsonian Arts Council more broadly. And uh, if you're into gaming and you uh, feel like doing a little bit of social good, you could do a lot worse than the bundle for racial justice and equality hosted by itch.io. It's about $3,500 in value with a $5 minimum donation. I could hardly believe it myself. Uh, but I will link everything aforementioned in the description of this podcast. And I will aim to be back very soon with a new episode. In the meantime, be sure to follow the podcast on Spotify. Leave a review on Apple Podcast. Uh, be sure to follow the podcast at Parish Podcast on Twitter. That's P A. R-R-I-S-H podcast on Twitter. Be sure to leave me a recommendation for review. Next week's podcast will actually include a review of Normal People uh, on BBC iPlayer, which is actually a Twitter recommendation, so they do work. <laughs> I've been Sam Parrish. Take care. Travel safe. Travel safe.